The financial aspect of third-party reproduction is one of the biggest hurdles intended parents need to overcome before they're ready to go all in with the process. Of course, how much the journey will cost and how you will pay for it is on the forefront of everyone's mind. Once it's determined how to pay for it all, then other questions will certainly come up on if any of these expenses can be tax deductible and how do you even manage the payment schedules and reimbursements that are due to the egg donor or the gestational carriers. The good news is you don't need to navigate the financial aspect of your journey alone. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to Fertility Cafe. Today on the show, we're talking all about taxes and escrow. Our guest will help navigate some of the unknowns when it comes to managing the compensation and expenses between parties and the sheer number of expenses that come up, including medical bills, attorney fees, and carrier and donor reimbursements, it can get overwhelming. Whether it's egg donation or gestational surrogacy, you'll want to utilize an escrow account to manage the money, how it comes in, when it goes out, and ensuring everything goes smoothly in between. Finances are a major consideration for egg donors and gestational carriers too, not because it's only about the money for them, but because for most, it's uncharted territory with so many unknowns. When GCs and egg donors sign the contracts and agree to give a part of themselves to bring life into this world for another person or couple, it's not as simple as being hired for a typical job. The physical and emotional commitment is enormous, and the responsibility they're agreeing to is more complicated than clocking into a nine-to-five each day. Giving them a peace of mind that there is a plan on ensuring their compensation and all expenses will be covered will be significant. In addition, taxes are an important factor for everyone involved. So let's get started. Today, we're joined by Sonia Stewart, owner of Ally Escrow Management which specializes in the finances involved in third-party reproduction journeys. Sonia is an experienced certified public accountant with more than 20 years of accounting experience. She received her Master of Accountancy in Finance Management from Keller Graduate School of Management, earned her CPA license in 2008, and remains an active member of the National and State Accounting Associations. Thank you for joining us on the Fertility Cafe today, Sonia. Thank you for having me. It's very much a pleasure. So I shared a little about your background, but would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and how you got into this industry? Yes. So I live northeast of Atlanta. Uh, I'm a mom to four children. I am married to a retired military person who is now a police officer. Um, my, My main interests are my animals and gardening. I love gardening. And I love doing what I do for families um, to, so they can experience the joy that I know as a parent. Awesome. I got started in this industry because I knew somebody who was a surrogate, and it absolutely fascinated me. And we got on the subject one day, and we were talking about you know contracts and money and you know how difficult sometimes that process was. So I became very interested in pursuing that avenue to become an actual asset to people who needed my skill set. And how long have you been running Ally Escrow Management? Oh, wow. Um, 12 years now? Wow, it's been that long? 
Yes, it has. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So have you seen a lot of changes in the industry from when you first started to now? Um, some of the, the, the major changes I have seen is more of reliance on the use of an escrow, that independent, uh, making sure that uh, parties are talking to each other. A lot of times I would get a contract uh, from an attorney and I would never hear from an, an agency or an attorney again. I would rely heavily on the parent. Now I've aligned myself more with agencies that have really good communication and I'm, I'm able to lean on the agency a lot more than, than before to make sure that everyone's on the same page and everything is being accomplished to what was intended. I know we like to say that in modern family building, it takes a village to start a family. And you're an essential part of the village, obviously. So let's dive into your role in the process and answer the question so many intended parents and surrogates and donors are asking. So my first question to Great. you is, when it comes to surrogacy and egg donation, why do you think an escrow account is essential? And why couldn't intended parents just manage the payments on their own? Honestly, I feel like there are two really big reasons why I wouldn't recommend parents managing the payments on their own. And, and these reasons are why I feel it's essential to have an escrow account in this process. The first one, and honestly, probably the most important one, is the emotional component between the parents and the surrogate. Money has a really funny way of making discussions feel uncomfortable when there's an emotional investment involved. And a third party as can be a little more on the outside and able to stick to the facts in the contract and be prudent when discussing these details of what is or is not covered or what needs to be turned in to validate costs and needs. Um, the other component is utilizing an experienced escrow company that has read many contracts, experienced various scenarios and views on how something would or should be looked at, greatly benefits both the parents and the surrogate. Um, you know, the average intended parent or surrogate may have been through two or three contracts at most, where I've seen over hundreds, and I have plenty of examples and, and knowledge base to, to pull from in order to be a real asset to the questions. Um, for example, the escrow agent can help guide the surrogate and what she needs to provide or things that need to be communicated to the escrow agent, helping the process flow more smoothly through, the, through each stage as it progresses. Uh, the parents can also depend on the escrow agent, making sure payments are made timely based on the terms of the contract and knowing that if there is something that isn't quite clear, the escrow agent can get it identified and clarified in advance of the need. And for me, I have found that probably is the biggest help is as the things in the contract start coming alive, people understand the words of the contract, but then when they start happening, um, sometimes it evolves into something they didn't realize it meant or how it should actually play out in real life. Mm -hmm. So is escrow just for surrogacy or do you, is there a lot of people that utilize it for egg donation as well? They do utilize it for egg donation. Um, it, I focus heavily on surrogacy because they are just so much longer of a time period. Egg donations now, when I first started doing this, I did a lot more egg donations at first. And now that I do more surrogacy, just by nature, um, it makes the egg donations seem so quick. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're open, yes. the, the cycle yes, is that done, I know. and they're closed <laughs> before I know it. Yeah. So can you share 
exactly how does escrow work? Like, can you walk us through a typical escrow account, how it's funded, how payments are managed, like what that whole thing looks like? Sure. Um, In this industry, basically escrow means that someone has requested of me to hold cash on their behalf in order for a specified purpose, such as an egg donation or a surrogacy obligation. And then part of that duty is distributing the cash in the manner designated, usually by several commitments made through an agency contract, an egg donation contract, a surrogacy contract, and sometimes even specific needs by the requester, such as the intended parent. Um, I have varying degrees of when I get pulled into the process, but normally, especially if working with an agency, once the agreement with the agency is signed, the agency asks the parents to go ahead and get established with an escrow company because there are processes and costs that happen while the surrogacy contract or a donation contract is being formed. Um, with my company, I've, I've had every extreme to parents who choose to mail check in to physically get it started, wire the funds in, and some that will literally walk into their local branch of the bank that I use as my holding bank and deposit the funds directly into the account. Um, and at that same time, they're signing an escrow co- contract with me in order to, you know, designate, yes, you are the person I would like to do this responsibility for me. In the beginning of an escrow's life, there's a lot of coordination between the agency and myself or even the parents for events that are happening so that I know what needs to be paid, when it needs to be paid. And these are usually for things like the screening process or getting health insurance established. Once the surrogacy contract is in place, I have generally the final guidelines I need to do my part, but I still need to know about certain events as they happen from the agency or the parents just from a verification standpoint. Um, Just because sometimes, um, for example, a surrogate might think, oh, I started medications because they've started birth control pills. Well, that really isn't the trigger for what that start of medications comp is for. So that's why I have that secondary verification from the parent or the agency just to say, did they start the the medications that we were looking for? Um, And it just helps me facilitate any of these financial aspects for the donor or the surrogate that are necessary. Um, And then one of my favorite parts is when we finally have a heart confirmation. That's always my favorite one that triggers the the future Mm -hmm. scheduling on a calendar for when payments will be released and and that, for me, is that's that's the milestone that really makes a, a big deal. Yeah, because at that point, you realize like, oh, it's real. It's really happening for them. And it's exciting. Correct. And at that, at that time, I choose to go ahead and, and do an overall review of the account and say, okay, now that we've, we're at this milestone, here is what we think we're going to need financially. Um, and normally, my goal is to make sure that I don't have to request funds any further, that that is an all-encompassing, I, I, you know, base it on a few facts that I know, and hopefully we get to the end of the journey and it's time to close the escrow account, and I will be sending back a refund because I was able to make sure I covered all the events that we could anticipate. So what criteria should intended parents consider when choosing an escrow company? I mean, there are several out there now, I'm sure, as you know. And I mean, what, what criteria would give, I guess, the intended parents a peace of mind that this person is doing what they're supposed to be doing and I don't have to worry about them like running off and taking off with my money? So in my opinion, I think you really should depend on someone who has to have gone through credentials that they have to uphold throughout their state, such as an attorney or a CPA. Now, I am partial to to a CPA because I am a CPA a lot of work and there are a lot of uh, things you have to do to to maintain that status and there is an ethical standard that they are held to. 
Now, for me, being a CPA, I have a financial background. I understand numbers, and that's really what I'm dealing with is, is I'm, you know, dealing with the numbers aspect of this journey. And if you can find somebody who has third-party experience in the third-party reproduction world, that's even better, or at least someone who has done their homework and has learned how to read these contracts and understand what the parents and the surrogates are going through. That's an even bigger, bigger help in this situation. Um, also, they should be insured. Make sure they're insured not only for professional liability, but make sure they have cyber risk insurance. Now, I mean, that's a big thing nowadays. You have to make sure you protect your assets. I spend a lot of time making sure that all the bank credentials and, and everything I need to do is always tip top shape because that is exactly where people like to attack. I know that there are some escrow agents that are attorneys and then there are some that don't have any background at all. They're, they just want to be escrow accounts. I mean, I also am partial to probably working with an escrow account that is, uh, I mean, you and I work together all the time. So, so I'm, I'm partial to having an escrow company that does have a CPA on staff, because like you said, you're the one that's actually dealing with the money side of things. But why do you feel that some people would want to work with an escrow account that's managed by an attorney? Um, I think there's a legal aspect to that. I have dealt with several uh, agencies that are, you know, escrow companies that are attorneys. This is more, I would say, a side thing for them. Their their real bread and butter is the actual legal contracts um, that they happily do it, and and they're, you know, they're good at it. But I would not say their passion is numbers, which is where my skill set is. I love numbers; things just click with me. I'm able to think of things quickly and understand the scenarios quickly. Not that they can't. It's just their forte is more of the legal aspect where my forte is more of the money and the financial aspect. So I, another question that just popped up in my head is what, what would happen if there was a dispute between the intended parents and the surrogates? And what would you be, what would you be able to do or not do? Or what should you? Um, do or can do when um, there's a dispute and you're in the middle? Unfortunately, that has actually happened to me several times. Um, luckily, all the scenarios that I've ever been a part of, they have ended successfully in some kind of arbitration or even just an agreement without having to use a mediator. Um, but for me, my obligation first starts to the parents. They are the ones who have hired me to go by the contract. I have provided guidance to the parents saying, well, this is why they're being asked of this, and, and here's my experience, and I either do or do not think they are, you know, the surrogate has a justifiable cause um, to ask for whatever they're asking for. And that has been very well received, and I, I was actually very proud to be able to help them in that way because how they were reading it and maybe how it was intended may not have actually matched up. Um, but I do not release funds until there is an agreement when situations like that happen. Just because once you release the funds, it's much harder to get that back. And I want to make sure both parties are in agreement in some way, shape, or form before they say, yes, okay, you, you can pay that. And if you, from what you're paying from is based upon the gestational surrogacy agreement or the egg donation agreement, and it's things that everybody has already agreed upon and have executed contracts on, and this is what you're pulling all of these numbers from. Is that correct? I would say 90% of the time, yes. 
um, sometimes there is medical bills that they weren't anticipated or their understanding of how insurance was going to pay or not pay causes a little bit of headache towards the end sometimes, and that will cause um, some strife, not necessarily between the, the surrogate and the intended parent, but the intended parent's expecting no more than, you know, a $5,000 deductible, let's say, and then now all of a sudden we're at 7500 or 8000 um, and they, they start questioning why. And then we have to get to the bottom of that before I can pay the bill and, and then put them at ease that, yes, this is correct, or maybe it's not correct and get a revised bill. Okay. So I guess the benefit of working with the CPA as an escrow company is that you also know taxes. So (laughs) the one subject that I actually hate talking about and actually hate doing come April 15th of every year. (laughs) But, um, But with so much money exchanging hands over the course of surrogacy or egg donation journeys, the next logical question would involve Uncle Sam and the IRS, right? So for intended parents, what expenses, if any, related to surrogacy and egg donation are tax deductible? All right. This has been a very uh, tumultuous affair for with the IRS for quite some time. Um, let me first by saying one of the biggest things you have to come across in, in this hurdle is the medical need for the cost that you're going to either request or go ahead and deduct on your tax return. Um, unfortunately, that sometimes upsets people that are in same-sex relationships because if there's not an actual medical need, then they feel like they have not been given any opportunity. And as of right now, that has not changed. I'm hoping it will change for the future. But right now, the things that have been allowed based on, you know, supported by medical need are things like the cost of freezing your egg, um, the cost of a sperm donation, or even the freezing of sperm. Um, IVF IVF costs to include post-procedure costs connected with that process, Um, the egg retrieval process, which includes the donor's fee, uh, medical and psychological testing, agency and legal fees, all related to that process, and then, of course, the medical costs for the baby after the baby is born. Now, there are costs that are questionable and are not said as, yes, they are deductible at this time, and that's things such as surrogacy compensation. Um, the medical bills before and during the pregnancy for a surrogate, the medical insurance related to a surrogate, and then the agency and legal fees related to getting a surrogacy contract in place. Um, And even though currently the code does not specifically allow surrogacy and egg donation expenses as quote-unquote deductible, they have private letter rulings that have happened, which is known as a PLR in the tax world. And the purpose of a PLR is to basically get specific permission from the IRS to deduct these expenses that are not 100% clear by law. Um, I do want to preface that with, even though you may know somebody or have read about a PLR that has been granted to someone that basically their expenses mirror your expenses and their health conditions mirror your health conditions, please know that a PLR cannot be used as a benchmark for your claim. Um, Each situation would need to go through the process of getting their own PLR to support the deduction request. Um, which you can do with a you know CPA or a certified tax professional can assist you in that process to get that. Um, just make sure you know that the first question they're going to ask you is, is this medically necessary? And know that it's going to take three to six months to get a response for a PLR. So you should probably request it sooner versus later. 
Um, and, the, and the IRS will actually send you a letter back that says yes or no of their decision, and you would need to include that with your tax return. Wow. So, so with the PLR, it's not something like they can get an invoice of what it's going to look like and then submit it to the IRS even before they start the process. Like it actually has to have happened. And then after it's all done, then that's when they can submit that PLR. No, they can be going through the process. You know, let's say they're doing it right now. Um, they can go ahead and get a PLR in place for the 2020 tax season for the things that they're going through right now, or they can wait, let's say they're talking about 2019, they can file an, ex an extension on their return and go ahead and get the PLL process for what has happened and hope that they are successful. Okay, so now we know what can be utilized or, or can't, I guess, be utilized as tax deductibles or, or a t something that's tax deductible. What about, um, can intended parents pay any of the surrogacy or egg donation expenses out of a, a health savings account? Um, yes and no. While you cannot use your HSA to pay for things related to a surrogate or egg donor directly, you can use it for the expenses related to use to your specific costs related for your body or your spouse's body, including the IVF process or once the baby has been born. Um, keep in mind, there is an annual limit to what you can contribute to an HSA, so planning early would be really important, and you might want to span it over two to three years um, just so that you can get an, an HSA built up to the cost that you expect to have. I mean, there's plenty of different ways intended parents can fund their their journeys. I mean, some may have the cash saved up and are able to pay for the process without a problem, or some of them have to have a combination of efforts to, you know, pull the money together. Some take the money out of their retirement account, some from their IRA or 401k, or someone gifts them the money from, you know, a family member, or some take out loans, some apply for charitable grants, some even do fundraising through websites like GoFundMe. Can you touch on what intended parents need to keep in mind when using these various funding methods? Um, some of the things to consider, uh, if you do take money directly out of your 401k, there will probably be penalty involved for early distribution, but you could take a loan out of your IRA. Um, and the ironic thing about taking a loan out of your IRA is you're paying yourself back the interest versus a credit card where you're paying interest to somebody else. Um, now, the gifts, there are ways that you can have people pay medical facilities directly versus giving you the money directly, and that changes the gift rules. Um, I mean, you can receive, four, I think it's $14,000 a year as a gift that's non-taxable to you or to the person who's donating it, but if they're paying it directly to a medical institution, that changes the rules a little bit. Um, and, and really, that's probably the best way to do it is if someone is like your parents or you know, a sibling or someone is actually helping you, have them pay the medical bills directly. That changes how it's treated. So if they pay the medical bills directly, let's say they paid the medical bills and it was $10,000 directly to the medical facility, and then they wanted to then gift you that up to that $14,000. As far as the IRS is concerned, you only really receive that $14,000. Correct. The, the gift of the medical bill actually goes against like a lifetime contribution versus that annual amount. Interesting. Okay. 
Okay, so now let's flip this and let's discuss the other perspective in this arrangement with egg donors and gestational carriers. I mean, obviously, they take on a huge responsibility. And we've already discussed how they're compensated and reimbursed for out-of-pocket expenses throughout the journey. But similar to the intended parents, how will taxes come into play for these women? You know, so for let's start with egg donors, for instance. Um, obviously, like we talked about, their process is much shorter than a surrogacy journey, but they still can get a significant amount of money. Um, is the compensation for egg donors taxable? Yes, ma'am, it is. And unfortunately, whether you receive a 1099 or not, you do need to report that to the IRS. Any expenses not reimbursed to you, such as mileage driving to and from the clinic, let's say that you did not get reimbursed, you should keep track of those things because they can be added to your Schedule C and deducted against the income received. But the ruling was handed down in the case of Perez versus the commissioner, which was the first case to really address this inclusion of income derived from the sale of donation of human, human eggs and related services. It is now officially a taxable event. Yeah. And I think that happened, what, in like the, I think it was like in 2010, 2011 or something like that? Not 100% sure, but I think you are close. Yeah. Where, unfortunately, it was a case that was brought up. Um, by a woman that was a previous donor and was upset that she had received a 1099 and, and tried to appeal it and it ended up backfiring. Correct. So what about the compensation for gestational surrogates? I mean, we know how much, you know, they somewhat sometimes can receive upwards of $60,000. Does their compensation need to be reported as income on a, a um, when they're filing their taxes? This one's a little more gray. There is not a, you know, a case like the Perez versus the commissioner case to say, yes, it is 100% for sure you need to do that. But based on what I know, I would say yes. Um, and, we, and we can examine that a, a little closer. Um, some argue that it depends on how the agreement was written between the intended parents on whether it could be argued as a ta is taxable or not. Each contract is, is ha will have buzzwords such as gift or for pain and suffering or even specifically state that it is not compensation for the purposes of this contract and that you will not be provided a 1099. However, to the IRS, the contract wording, whether you have, will receive a 1099 or not, will not play into their decision of whether it is taxable or not. The IRS will focus more on funds received, whether it was not purchased for a body part, was not for a child, and was the purchase of services, even if performed within the scope of a binding contract with certain buzzwords, that you were aware of what was involved, which would be the pain and suffering, and that at the heart of it, you benefited financially from that and would have to turn and call it income. Now, keep in mind, I am referencing just from a federal tax perspective. Each state's a little different, but most likely if the federal taxes it, so does the state. That's just kind of a good rule of thumb. Um, and in the end, if the IRS feels your compensation is considered income, then yes, a surrogate mother will be required to pay income taxes both on a federal and state level. Wow. What ha can happen if a, a donor or even a gestational carrier doesn't claim their compensation on their annual taxes? Um, so there are limits to where how far back the IRS can go, um, but failure to report income, especially if it's more than 25%, um, basically there is no timeline. They can come back forever and ever, um, but the, the, there's penalties associated with it, but really what I have found is more of the interest 
the, the penalty will get tacked on, and then however long ago that was, the interest will literally accrue until it is paid. And that's really where the, the money starts adding up. So do you know of, I mean, I can speak obviously about my agency, but do you know if there are agencies out there on the surrogate side that do provide 1099s, or is it just something that the surrogate needs to be aware of just to so that she's keeping account of that and doing it on her own? So far, to my knowledge, I do not know of anyone that is providing them. That doesn't mean they are not, but I have not been made aware. In most of the contracts I read, it states that the 1099 will not be provided by anyone. But they still have to, or they still should, at least for sure, speak to their CPA when they're doing their taxes just to make sure of what their policies are. Correct. Got it. Um, so I know we've kind of talked about a number of different things, but is there anything that you can think of that we didn't talk about that you feel is rather important for our listeners to know? I think they just need to be aware of keeping keeping good records, you know, because there are a lot of things that, you know, for example, a clothing allowance. Well, they get that those funds and they should keep record of what they bought in order to say, okay, well, even though I received this money, these are the expenses I had to offset that income. Um, the monthly allowance, if they had postage, if they had uh, fax charges, anything that would go against that, they should keep really good records for things that they weren't individually reimbursed for or even were reimbursed for to show that I received this money, but I had this expense that goes with it. What about lost wages? Ah, uh, yes, that is, I would definitely agree that is income um, and that if questioned, the IRS probably would treat it as such because it is considered a lost wage. If you would have received it at work, then pay taxes on it, you should do so on the other side as well. And I think that will change contracts as we go along. If people start providing 1099s to surrogates, it'll it'll change it from a gross, from a net to a gross position. Trying to think of different things. Uh, child care. Uh, yes, if you, if you are provided funds for child care, I would make sure to keep proof of what you paid for child care in order to say, well, even though I received this, this money, I did have these expenses because of the surrogacy in order to negate any income uptick from that. Um, and for example, another one, uh, breast milk. A lot of people don't think that that is a taxable income, but it is. Um, and there's not a whole lot that doesn't get reimbursed to you to, to, with that process. And people will say, well, what about my time? My time should be worth something. And unfortunately, the IRS takes a position that that's very subjective. So even volunteer time, you, you can't establish a dollar per hour for your time. And unfortunately, that would be 100% straight profit, according to the IRS. Boy, okay, I'm going to keep my opinions to myself. I know, I know. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it is very, very, very hard to, to tell someone, yes, you technically need to report that as income because it, it, it seems wrong. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the IRS looks at it very, very subjectively. Well, Sonia, thank you for taking the time to explain and educate us on the financial aspect of third-party reproduction. The information you shared, I'm sure, will be invaluable to so many, especially on as tax season is quickly approaching. 
Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and we'll definitely provide a link to Ally Escrow Management on our resources page. But in the meantime, do you mind sharing um, how our listeners can contact you? They sure can. They can go to allyescrowmanagement.com or they are free to call me anytime at 770-904-1404. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and you've gained a bit more knowledge on the importance of escrow and how to prepare for taxes. If you enjoyed this episode of Fertility Cafe, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your listening platform of choice. We'd also love if you would share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information. Thank you for joining me today on Fertility Cafe. I'm Eloise Drain. Remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.